Hey Coconuts, welcome back to another weekly episode of Market Updates, where we scour the net to find worthy financial news for you. Well, first up, we just heard the news that Zendesk is getting sold, so we're going to talk about it. You know we have to. Uh, it's been quite a ride with them, to be honest, so love to put this to bed. Well, let's see if it, if it actually does. <laughs> then we're going to bring a little of our stock geek out into our market updates this week. We're going to talk about three topics. One is the commodities in Indonesia. Another one is the MSCI ASEAN Fund, which has actually outperformed the S&P 500 year-to-date. And lastly, a little on oil and OPEC, right? Uh, and whether they can actually deliver any more oil to reduce the crude oil prices. It's a new, fresh episode this week with something definitely different. You, you'll hear it. So let's get started. Hey, Coconuts. Welcome back to Weekly Market Updates with me, Rakesh. And CS. Oh, hey, someone new. <laughs> <laughs> the other yeah. founder. How are you, CS? Pretty good. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since I've been on. So thank you for having me. No, of course. I mean, you were definitely the third choice. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have with Anthony and, and Jeff that can't make it today. Reg is busy traveling, I think. Well well yeah. earned break. <laughs> yep, yep. And I guess, you know, if Anthony's listening to this, congrats on the new <laughs> board. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, awesome coconuts uh, for for today. We've got a different episode, I'd say, a little a little different. So hopefully you like that. We we'll first start off with with straightforward, easy stuff, right? Um, Zendesk has been acquired. We look to love to talk more about that. It's just happened in the past couple of days. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about commodities, right, and the underlooked countries to to where we could be playing commodities on. We then want to talk a little bit about indices about the MSCI outperforming the S&P 500. And last but not least, talk a little bit about OPEC and why they can't really deliver any more oil. All right. All right. Let's, let's get let's get to this. All right. So Zendesk, yeah. Uh, Chung Sung, I, who, I hope you've heard the news um, over have, the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So 10.2 billion buyout. They have confirmed it, Zendesk. Um, it's a cut price, to be honest, wasn't it? Uh, because before it was actually valued at seventeen billion, or there was an offer before at seventeen billion, just half a year ago, um, and and they said no to it, and they said no, we're going to remain a public entity, blah blah blah. But something's up with Zendesk. I really don't know what, but they have agreed to sell it for ten point two. Um, what what is your immediate thoughts here, uh, CS? Yeah, so I, I, I don't typically follow Zendesk. Um, I'm familiar with it, but so I, you know, just use the good old Twitter to see what people have been saying um, and, you know, try to figure out when that initial offer was, right? Um, so initially, the their first offer came in uh, on the 10th of February. So this is, you know, like way before, like before the whole Russia-Ukraine started, thing started, mm-hmm. before like inflation was deemed out of control and now, you know, <laughs> banks or the, all those uh, central banks need to raise interest rates. Yeah. Um, and yeah, at that point, I think they were, they would like each share was being offered at like $127, right? Uh, which mm. is quite a bit more compared to like the 77 or so that they're getting now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. to be fair, you know, every like since, since February, like all your tech companies have dropped significantly. Right. And, Absolutely. you know, interest rates have gone up. Um, and yeah, I mean, at that point, it's just like, okay, uh, you know, can Zendesk really, get through this, this in, like 
you know, this recession that we're going, uh, that we're, it seems like we're going through. Um, mm-hmm. And, or is, is everyone better off just taking this, taking the hit, um, you know, a reduced share price uh, or reduced buyout, but at the same time, like still, still much doing much better compared to a lot of the other tech companies. Right. Yeah. yeah so I guess those are, those are really my initial thoughts there. How about yeah. you? What, what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, in all fairness, I'm a little perplexed with, with Zendesk, right? So, I mean, of course, they had an offer in, in Feb that you mentioned just a few months ago. Um, and they said, no, it was too low a value. Of course, the, the tech stops have been dropping since, what, December, November, yeah. um, if, if I'm not mistaken. And, and so on and so forth. So then they said, no, it's too little in value. Let's continue. But something must have drastically changed. Um, either inside the company or, or something's happening in there because their profits are still high. They're still making money. They're still making, I think it was 35% uh, year on year over the last uh, earnings call and all of that. But yet they're wanting to sell. For me, that's that's really a question mark. I want to find out more to, to actually figure out why they're selling. That's an, it's an honest question I have no idea about. Uh, maybe if anybody of our listeners have any information about this, that would be great. Um but the other thing is the fact that two weeks or a few days ago, they said that they are going to still be a publicly listed company, even after the buyout. And they just came out to say, I think it was yesterday or a couple of days ago, saying, no, you know what? Now that we're being acquired by a private equity firm, we're now moving privately held and the right, we're paying everybody out $77 per share. Um, and again, that that for me is is a bit of, you know, wait, who's in charge here? What's exactly happening in that? Is it is it just a mess in that company right now? Um, so for me, it's very much a question mark of what's going to happen at Zendesk over the next six months, right? Not to mention, they've also had a couple of buyouts that they were supposed to buy. I think it was SurveyMonkey's oh, really? Holdings. Yeah, they were supposed to have SurveyMonkey's Holdings they were going to buy. I think it was called Momentive. Um, and they proposed a $4.1 billion takeover. Um, and now have terminated that. Right, huh. so they were buying, trying to buy companies, and have been trying to buy companies for a while, and then suddenly they are being bought. <laughs> um, so the the mindset for me, it's it's not really it's not really quite there. Something has happened in there, and I have no idea what. Yeah, um, yeah. What, what's yeah? What's what's exactly going on? What do you think this based on your experience? Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I guess you know they thought that they could be the whale that survives uh, and then they realized like oh we're, we're just like we're just a, a slightly larger fish in this pond that we, <laughs> we live in right um yeah I, I really don't know i think the big challenge here is that you know management really doesn't have much incentive to keep going per se right mm-hmm. um i think all of management put together like they own less than four percent of the company uh so from that perspective that's like you know even if they want to keep going um and whether or not you know they were trying to keep going for their own purpose or you know to to actually grow the company or if they were just hoping to continue like you know making the 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 money that they're making there um mm. they don't have they actually have no control over the finals the final say right so it could just be like you know a bunch of these hedge funds or other um entities who are holding this company right now is saying yeah you know what like the rest of our portfolio is down really like quite a bit right now let's just take this Let's let's take this as a small win, right? Yeah. And and get some liquidity for you know whatever is going to be happening in the future, right? So maybe some of these mm. people are like looking at it from a, a holistic perspective for their own funds, um, but I mean these are all just speculations, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right. And um, I mean Zendesk is I mean for coconuts out there they don't know Zendesk they're quite big in the customer service space they have a massive ticketing software they're trying to move into Zendesk sales if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and expand into the CRM world and, and compete with the likes of, you know, HubSpot, uh, compete with the likes of your fresh 
Salesforce, all of that. Um, and that was their play, right, moving forward. So, and that's why they were looking to acquire companies, which is why they also acquired, you know, SurveyMonkey and, and trying to acquire a few other, few other softwares as well. Um, I think it's good news um, because this could signal a sign that, you know what, now that Zendesk is being taken over and, and so on, maybe other companies are going to get bought out as well, <laughs> uh, which is really during during a recession, that's really what happens, right? People consolidate, yeah, people yeah. buy all of these things. And maybe this is the first of many for, for yeah. 2022. Oh, for sure. I, I definitely don't think this will be the last we hear about <laughs> um, buyouts. Um, also, I, you know, I'd also be very curious to see if, um, if they or Zendex will uh, run into some potential like shareholder, um, what do you call them? Uh, like issues? No, yeah, like you know, they're not actually uh, meeting the fidu- for their fiduciary duties. They just sold right. out at a too low of a price, um, and then okay. yeah, maybe there'll be some sort of class action lawsuit. That's the word I was looking for. Right? Ah, um, okay. But I, who knows, right? Like I'm, I, I, I'm merely just speculating on everything at this point. <laughs> right. Well, I don't think that might happen because they are selling, they are selling it at almost market value, right? So $76 a share or something like that. So it's a little bit more than that now um, that they're selling it. Um, so that's that. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, let's see. Yeah. Let's see if people are upset. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about Twitter for a while and <laughs> that's oh, been yeah. a saga in itself. So who knows? This might be a, a continuation, right? Well, well but that's that's Elon though, right? Elon's <laughs> just crazy. <laughs> this, this is a private equity firm, which is supposed yeah. to have done their numbers. So, yeah. Well, awesome. Um, well, thanks for that. Uh, CS, why don't you take us away a little bit on this commodities thing? It's next yeah. story. Yeah, so let's. We're actually going to do something a bit different. So we're, we're mm. actually, I'm actually going to play a short clip um, from one of our um, episodes that we just recently launched, uh, and then we'll just definitely dig a bit more into it. All right. Awesome. Indonesia has been a straight outright play on mm-hmm. commodity on world commodity producers. So if you look at the Jakarta Composite Index and you overlay that against the um, uh, the Refinitiv CRB Commodities Producer Index, it tracks very nicely. So it okay. is a commodity producer market. Now, it doesn't mean that you you have to buy a commodity producer in, the, in, in Indonesia. It is an economy that's benefiting from its commodity production. So... Yep. Uh, so even the banks and the retailers start behaving like a commodity play. Okay. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on Indonesia potentially being like a substitute for um, a play on commodities without having direct um, exposure to commodities? Yeah, that's um, for me, I think that's a, that's a, like I've never really looked at that. Um, it's also not really my biggest market that I look at, but what they mean by play on commodities within total commodities is they can do export imports, right? Um, don't they? But doesn't Indonesia do commodities itself? Yeah. They do palm oil. They have all these burning and so on for that. No. Yeah, yeah. So I um, after that video, like I actually took a look um, at Indonesia's exports, um, and according to um, the O, the what is this here? The Obs- Observatory of Economic Complexity. Uh, I don't know. Mm. What exactly that site is about per se, um, but they they state that palm oil is about ten percent of their export or Indonesia's exports. Coal is about eight point eight percent. Gold is about three point five percent, and petrol gas 
is about 3.2%, right? So that's, as a whole, that's about like 25% of the total exports. Um, but I think what, you know, just doing a bit of uh, digging as well, because I don't actually follow Indonesia myself, um, okay. but doing a bit of uh, digging after that, um, they also said that, or people are also, or sorry, how do I put this? A bunch of other sites were also saying that like, you know, majority of Indonesia's growth is actually internal, right? Um, that they're not really reliant on exports or imports to really grow themselves um, and that they're really more of a, yeah, they're, they're pretty self-sufficient as a whole, right? Um, which also makes it very interesting from a, okay, if, if that's the case, then are they, are they as influenced over, you know, all the geopolitical things that are happening over all the supply chain issues that are happening, or are they pretty isolated from that? Um, so that, that was just really something I thought that was pretty interesting um, mm. as, as a whole. What do you, what, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think you're right. I was I was reading that as well, and Indonesia is very much an, an Indo place. So you know, being a startup guy myself previously and so on, they used to say, right, you go into Indonesia, you don't need to come back out, right? <laughs> they've got the population, they've got a massive economy. What is it, five hundred million people or something like that there? Um, not entirely, you know, what the population is, but it's massive, right? And yes, commodities is a factor in Indonesia, which is why I think. Even if you're not in the commodity space, you need to be somewhat entrenched with it or, or try and get a little bit of exposure with it. Like the banks, like, you know, that um, the video was saying, what's his uh, name again? Sorry. Was that Seibun? Yeah. So Seibun was saying, right, which is why, because it's such an inward looking economy, you no matter what you are, if you are investing, you got to look into commodities as well. Um, and, and I think that's that's one of the ways that Indonesia plays. Whether us or coconuts out there that want to invest in Tunisia, if you are looking to invest in Indonesia, I would definitely look at the commodities play. Um, but if you're just outside and you're looking in and just seeing whether Indonesia is a good commodity play for you, I think there might be other opportunities out there. Like Australia, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for, if you're just looking for direct commodity exposure, then yeah, definitely a lot of other opportunities. But I guess if you're looking more from a, you know, a whole, a different perspective of like, okay, um, and, you know, this is this ties to the second point later, um, but uh, similar to what, you know, your experience with startups is, right? Uh, I had a mentor who told me that, like, um, right now, even though, like, you know, Silicon Valley, like, all funding has pretty much stopped. Um, and in, if, if you still have a viable business in um, a startup in Indonesia, you can still get this, you can still get very, very similar multiples um, as the Silicon Valley guys, right? And that's just because, you know, these guys are so early, like, Indonesia is still so early in this whole process, um, and a lot of mon- our VCs are still willing to throw a lot of money in there, right? So I think from that perspective, I kind of see this as like this could be like you know a ch- like a, from a macro perspective, a China 2.0, right? Like where mm-hmm. within the next two three decades, like these guys are Indonesia really uh, grows out their um, their pop or their uh, GDP, and therefore like you know that that rising tide will just lift every single company that, that's inside um, serving Indonesia. But of course, you know, that's, I think that's a much larger that's conversation true. that requires a lot more, a lot more thought than just, you know, a simple statement like that. <laughs> Besides that sweeping statement. No, but I, I see where you're coming from. I think there's still so much, so many variables to take care of, right? Like China obviously has done this since the 70s, since the 60s. Um, if Indonesia is just starting now, where are they going? You know, then you've got to worry about politics and, and all yeah. of that, which we know is quite unstable in, in, in Indonesia and, and all of them. So yeah, other, other yeah, factors sure. to consider. Yeah. yeah. 
Alrighty, shall we move on to the next one? Yeah, let's do it. What is uh, what topic is this one? Yeah, so uh, this this is about the MSCI, um, MSCI the uh, ASEAN. So essentially, it's like um, a global index tracking all of um, all of the Asian countries, pretty much, or ASEAN countries, and how that's actually doing better than uh, the S and P five hundred. So let's take a quick listen to what Sebun had to say here. Cool. The MSCI ASEAN collectively, yeah, uh, has outperformed the S and P five hundred since the start of the year, quite significantly. Okay. Too has been outperforming the S and P five hundred since the start of the year, and that can again be explained by uh, the S and P five hundred having a larger uh, proportion of tech stocks, right, which yep. are more, more vulnerable, and we've already talked about that. So ASEAN. Um, the ASEAN markets are more old school, old world uh, value plays, right? Yes. So, um, and if you look at the two specific markets, the two best markets in ASEAN, when I say best, I mean the best performing okay. markets year to date within ASEAN. They have been number one, Indonesia, okay. and number two, Singapore. Mm. So, when was the last time you heard Singapore uh, exactly. ranking on something? <laughs> Best passport in the world. Right? Singapore's number one. <laughs> uh, well, I, mean, I don't know. As a Canadian, I still, I still have some questions on, on how you want to describe that best passport. But sure, sure. I, I from a number of countries. Number of number of visaless entries, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except Singapore still needs a visa to the US. <laughs> yeah, it's a quick one, mate. It's a quick one. <laughs> but um, I mean back back to this, right? So they mentioned that the MSC MCSI or MSCI. MSCI, sorry, yeah. Um is outperforming the S P five hundred as of this year in twenty twenty two. Um I think that's as you rightly put, I think that's um a little unfair to be saying it because firstly it's six months. You look at it over the last twenty years, then maybe do do your math and tell me what the answer is. But also, it's been quite a downturn in in the in the US uh, S and P because of, like you mentioned, the tech stocks. It's been dropping since November, since December. Whereas Singapore, um, as we know, in Indonesia, which we just spoke about commodities and and value play, and um, it, it's it's been rising but rising steadily. Right, um, so which is why Singapore is usually where they say, you know what, it's you, you've, it's a children's playground, and if you haven't done stocks yet, go into SGX, just play around with it, um, at least get the feel of it before going into the big leagues of your Hong Kong and your and your uh, you know S and P's in the US. So um, one thing though, I I think is quite important for coconuts out there to listen is that this could be a good way to to gain a bit more um, interest as opposed to putting your money in the bank. Right, because MSCI is quite diversified. It's an ASEAN fund, quite diversified. It could be a way, it could be a good way for you to put it in um, as your base, right? So you know you're going to get a little bit, but at least it's there. It's quite um, certain that you're going to get your money back, as opposed to the S and P, which is just up and down and up and down and give you <laughs> headaches and it's a roller coaster ride. I think that's that's my takeaway there. Um, CS, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, I totally agree. You know, this is, it, it would be unfair to just say, oh, you know, just year to date, um, or yeah, year to date, uh, S&P is obviously falling behind from a lot of other indices as well. Yeah. Um, I do think, however, that like, uh, you know, a, a, a few assumptions here, right? Number one, a, a first assumption, 
I believe interest rates will continue to rise just because of inflation, right? Mm-hmm. And as interest rates continue to rise, all your tech companies in the S&P or a lot of your tech companies, um, unprofitable ones are going to, are going to continue to see their, um, their stock prices potentially fall. Right. And a, a lot of that just has to do with duration risk that when are, when will they actually make that money? And is that money going to be worth anything at that point versus, um, getting some sort of money now. Right. Um, yeah. so I do think there is that potential challenge of, um, that SM, the S&P and tech sector as a whole will have to figure out. Um, so I do think like if, you know, if for those who might not be real, like fully invested or for those who are looking to just start investing, um, starting in, yeah, starting in Singapore, just getting your feet um, wet, learning the ins and outs, um, being able to get a bit of your dividends here and there um, can be a great start. And, you know, I'll just put a little teaser in here. Um, the rest of this episode, so if you, for those who aren't familiar with us to which episode we're referring to, uh, do look up Stock Geek Out by TFC on any podcast player that you, um, that you listen to. And the, and it was our last Thursday episode, right? Um, with, um, with Sabun. And at the end, he does, he did talk about a few different ideas as to how you could be, uh, potentially, or a, a few trade ideas, I guess. Right. That I do think uh, can play out um, mm. and what also requires you to kind of, you know, not really touch the S&P for now. Right. Um, so uh, potentially alpha. I don't know. Uh, not going to not going to not going to promise anything like that. This is <laughs> obviously not advice. You know, go listen to it, like learn about it yourself and then decide if that's a if that's a strategy that makes sense for you. And if and of course, you know, make sure you do figure out like all the pros and cons of uh, implementing something like that. Yeah. Um, just to be right, it's actually just the episode below this, right? Because yeah, exactly. It's just the one below this. Um, I definitely, I think it's a, it's a good listen. Um, I listened to it on, on, on Friday or Saturday when it came out. So it was a, it was a very good one. Definitely yeah. recommend a coconuts out there to, to listen to that at this turbulent time. Okay. And the last one we have here, let me just once again, pull this up. Yeah. Perfect. It's about oil. What is it about? Oil, oil, oh, oil. And OPEC, OPEC. And oil. right? Let's, let's have a listen. We recently saw OPEC Plus, uh, OPEC Plus saying, "Look, um, we will increase our the delta, the incremental production." I don't remember the exact number, but it was a fifty-five-zero, fifty percent increase, right? And yet the price of oil broke one hundred and fourteen. On that news, why? It was 50% of sweet nothing. Let me repeat. It was sweet. <laughs> Look, OPEC had been underproducing its quota for the entire year. It started underproducing its quota by 700,000 barrels per day. And by the last OPEC meeting, they were underproducing by 2.6 million barrels per day. Hmm. I thought they've been underproducing since 2008. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so I, 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 you know, I think this is also a good PSA for a lot of people here, uh, coconuts uh, who are just learning. Um, just because something is mentioned on the news, or you know, a politician saying like, "Oh yeah, we got this deal with OPEC to increase production by 50 percent," doesn't necessarily mean that they will actually be able to do it. Right. So yeah. never, never go trade on headline news. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great point. Um, OPEC Plus. This is probably the second time I've heard of it. I had a, had a quick read before this episode. Uh, just for coconuts out there. So OPEC is obviously oil producing exporting countries. There are a little bit, uh, I think there are a few countries in there. But OPEC Plus um, are 10 extra members that joined um, OPEC. I think in 2015 or 2016 or something like that. Uh, and that those include other oil producing countries like um, Malaysia, I think it was, uh, and, and a few others, 10 of them. Uh, I think now a total of 16 countries, something like that in, in OPEC plus. Yeah. Um, and just, I mean, I, I don't know the exact numbers, uh, how many countries, but uh, it's approximate, like, you know, people, um, according to the OPEC website, it's about 80% of all the world's um, oil reserves are part of this OPEC plus group. Got it. So in other words, they have almost a monopoly. Yeah. Yeah, so they have a monopoly, yet for some reason they are falling behind on their production. Why do you think that is? Money, my friend, money. <laughs> so as, as far as I know, um, and, and this is something that I was reading, is that when they do crude oil extraction, they can't actually stop the machine. So it keeps going. But what they try and do is to slow it down as much as possible so they can regulate demand and supply it as much as possible, but they actually can't stop taking oil out of the ground. Otherwise, the machines would go through some sort of issues and, and, and maintenance issues and all of them. Um, so I would, if I were them, I'd slow it down and raise my crude oil prices and, and raise anything that I can. Um, and at the same time, you have a ton in Xylo, right? So uh, I think what Singapore has some, this I mean, around the world that has OPEC Xylos um, and, and those would also need to be sold. So, I think there is a surplus that is in Xylos, to be honest. I think they could be under-reporting um, because they still have to keep mining at a certain rate and get those crude oil. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think I, I take a different approach to this. Yeah. Um, I think a big challenge here is that um, as a whole, the whole oil and gas industry has been under-invested in for like the last few years, maybe even the last decade now, right? Ever since, like you know, the whole ESG thing started kicking in, um, all these different, you know, all these different like um, funds are being forced to be like divert to diversify out of these companies, right? Right. Um, and because of that, like, and of, of course, you know, these companies are also like are made out to be like the criminals and in all the good times of like, oh, look at you guys, you know, polluting the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that's not happening. Right, but it becomes like the political scapegoat for for all of these, right? And okay. and there's been so many different projects um, that have been stalled or completely like stopped um, because of that, right? So I think so. So of course, from there, like you have like all these oil and gas companies have not been producing their or building out their infrastructure to actually supply more, right? Um, so they are all limited in what they can actually do. Um, I've read a few things that said like a lot of these like things like a lot of these um like oil fields or rigs or what have you they are running at maximum capacity and like they can't do any more than what they're doing right mm. um and of course you know i think there was another there was some sort of news that came out uh, recently i don't remember which company it was but essentially it was like a um one of the oil gas companies that stated that like oh yeah you know they're they're gonna increase their um, dividends from one billion to two billion right Essentially, they're just going to give, they're giving all the money back to their shareholders, right? And why is that happening? That's because, once again, like, there's no, 
it's how can how can they go build out their infrastructure if politicians are always putting them in the, in the spotlight trying to shut them down um so they can't invest for the future with that uncertainty so what their best thing is to just give back the money right, right. um which of course yeah leads to a limited amount of supply and given the way you know where we are with demand and what's yeah. happening around the world i do think that's that in itself is to me it's the underlying reason Right. Okay. I don't think from I mean for me is I agree with what you're saying, you know, it's taking a different shift and all of that, which is why they are actually diversifying their investment, right, into these renewable energies and so on and so forth. But the world is still so so um reliant on oil. Massively. Your ships, your planes, even making batteries, you need some it'll, it'll touch the line, right? It's just just happens. So I think that while they may have reduced the infrastructure um, expansion plants, let's put it that way, right? they're still expanding, but they're expanding at a lower rate than they would say in the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s or the 2010s. It's still, for me, not a good enough excuse, I think, to say this is the reason why, right? Um, because I think if they want to, they can. There's a, a ton in Xylo, which maybe we're not supposed to know about, and I cannot guarantee you for sure that I've seen it, but I've heard about it. Um, so that's that's just my thinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I am familiar with, you know, a lot of these countries do hold reserves. Um, and I mean, the U.S. has also been like using their reserves to, you know, to essentially reduce the burden per se every so often, uh, especially during like peak travel periods. Um, but of course, you know, the challenge there is like usually these reserves are meant for like strategic in case of it like in case something really goes wrong you have something to protect you or to yes. some sort of buffer right um, and I think within especially in Europe I think a lot of this is like it's meant to be like saved for like um, save for the winters winter months when like that's when you really 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 need it um, but I mean they're using it right now as well um, but question for you um, yeah. what do you think or how do you think oil prices can come back down? What do you think oh, needs to happen? Wow, wow. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's a question I'm not prepared to answer. <laughs> fair, um, fair. I, I mean, I think um, you know I, I, this is true for a lot of uh, like even inflation in a sense, right? Um, mm. The cure, and, and you know, it's a, I guess the old saying of like the cure for high prices is high prices. Right. You we you essentially need to go through the pain of you know, like destroying all the demand of so that, you know, people are, you know, don't have that money anymore so that they can't buy those things that they want or what have you so that everything can kind of go back and normalize. Right. I think. Um, and so I, I, I mean, not this was mentioned, not part of the today's conversation, but California, okay. I think, just recently announced that they were going to give every citizen like a thousand dollars for like um, as a way to like um, reduce the, the impact of inflation on them. Right. But like all you're doing with that thousand dollars is you're, you're just, just creating more inflation. Yeah. You're putting it into back into the economy. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, yeah. So I, I do think that's uh, like, you know, kind of one of the, I mean, that's the only real choice I'm aware of. Um, and I'm sure like, you know, this topic as a whole, I like, it's yeah. very contentious. So would love to it hear is. all you coconuts um, on what you think. Yeah. What, what do you think is the reason of, you know, for oil prices being where it, where it is? Um, and is there a way for us to 
reduce those prices so that things can, you know, in a sense, go back to normal. Because um, I, I really don't see a way unless we go through like, you know, demand destruction, really. Yeah. So, I mean, previously as well, um, oil prices were in higher and then it dropped a little bit. I think it was 2008 oil prices skyrocketed and then it dropped a little bit because of demand and supply. Um, and I think that that just will happen, right? But prices will be high and here to stay. Let's be honest. I think it's just going to go up. It'll dro- dip a little bit, but it will go back up. Um, and the, I feel that the demand for oil is so high that I don't know whether we will see that, um, you know, sort of elastic demand for oil in our lifetime. I'll be, I'll be completely honest. Maybe I'm, I'm very skewed in my view, but we just rely on it so much that if OPEC wants to, to squeeze our fingers, they can without even thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Um... I think that is, I'm told, I totally agree with you there. I think um, the whole ESG thing probably is also not helping um, relieve that stress. Um, and ultimately, you know, those ESG people who are also saying nuclear is not an option and therefore you must go all, all renewables. I mean, yeah, I've also read a few things with, in Europe, right, where they're shutting down all these nuclear power plants, um, but because they have no goal, um, they're not getting their energy from russia anymore they're like importing coal (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) so it's like great so this is exactly what you guys were hoping to do right maybe if we stop the war um then it might we might be a little better (laughs) but um i I was reading in europe as well that they're looking to do cold fusion um as a form of of energy so i don't know if that's gonna work through um but uh, let's let's see how that works i think the first things first is let's stop that war um and go back go back to to non-war days yeah yeah um not just for our portfolio but for everyone else involved there right absolutely absolutely cool uh well this was a fun episode cs thanks so much it was uh very different um than what we did we had a third voice but a pre-recorded third voice (laughs) that's always fun um yeah for sure thanks for having me no, and thanks, yeah, thanks for coming on board. Uh, Coconuts out there, hope you had a, a good episode as well. Learn a thing or two. Don't forget, as CS mentioned, to listen to the previous episode uh, on, on Seibun. It's, it's uh, a very good stock geek out. And we will see you next week. Sorry, just one, a, few, a, a few things I wanted to say about that episode. Um, yeah. So that episode, I think Seibun actually mentioned three or four different investment opportunities. So do, mm. you know, for just for the sake of that, I think it's interesting to listen to. Um, and yeah, do let us know if, if you find some like us talking about a previous episode actually beneficial or if you prefer the typical style. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye once again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us social media we also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered to sign up please click the description below as always we love your feedback so share that with us at hello at the thanks and stay safe